All right, welcome back to another episode of The Shadows of Jesus. My name is Jeff Martin, and I'm joined by Bill Jolly. Bill Jolly. And so, man, we're almost done with the Old Testament. We're going through every book of the Bible from yep. Genesis to Revelation. 37 books. Deep in the Old Testament. There's uh-huh. how many in the Old Testament? 39. 39, so we're getting close. Um, but we really want to show how all of Scripture is about Jesus. And yeah. so there's shadows of Jesus leading us to the New Testament. Then it's explicitly about, about Jesus, but it's still all about him and so we want to we want to show that in this time in this yeah, podcast so i love it well today um for this we could have covered half of first chronicles and we decided let's just push every first and second second chronicles into one episode one episode next week which allows us to after last week we we had so much flying through <laughs> when we're yeah. just going to slow down on on the italian prophet that you call malachi malachi or malachi <laughs> malachi all right so real quick uh, malachi comes along after haggai and zechariah mm-hmm. the temple's complete worship has been restored by the works of ezra um, but the expectations um for israel was that hey after this happens we're going to enter into like this messianic Right. Period. So all the blessings, the restoration should have occurred. Now they're going like, things haven't changed. Yeah. And so this leads them to basically kind of go back to all their old ways. So mm-hmm. so kind of what, what's what's happening um, in Israel, in Jerusalem at the time of Malachi? Yeah. So they're, so they're have it's, it really is like a um, re, re, replaying of the way that they were responding at earlier, uh, yeah. in in the in struggling in covenant faithfulness, in in their in how they were worshiping God, uh, it reminds me of the, some of those early prophets that we read. You know where God says, "I I hate your festivals. Your wor- there's a problem with your worship. Yeah, there's the way that you're treating the 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 poor, the way that you're treating the marginalized, the the way that you're treating each other. There's all these problems, and so there's the priesthood has become corrupt. Worship is stagnant. There's divorce that's widespread, and uh, people are not giving. So you got it's got a lot of things for Malachi to yeah, and address. a lot of this stuff is really applicable to us today. So yes. so we'll try to get into some of the questions that maybe normally normally we'd have to go through quickly. Maybe we can kind of hunker down, slow down, down on this. Yeah. yeah so um so. Chapters one and two have some disputes between God and Israel. Really, the whole book is is six disputes, mm-hmm. more or less. But chapters one and two give us the first three. Um, the first dispute happens when God says, "I love you." Great opening. Yeah, and and so and that's that love is the tense there in the Hebrew is like I always have loved you, I do love you, and I always will love you. So it's this mm. forever, never ending yeah. love. He's like, yeah. I love you. Nothing can ever change that. And how do they respond? How? How have you loved us? <laughs> and it's almost, it's almost like it's not like I'm curious, like how, like how? Tell me, God, like how? It's 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 more really? spiteful. It's yeah. like how we're not experiencing these yeah, how, blessings. How and so, how does God explain to them that He loves them? He talks about how He has how He's chosen them. Yeah, and, and he didn't and this, choose others. And this gets really controversial. I mean, especially yes. when you see that Paul quotes it in Romans. In Romans nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is what does he more or less say? So he he literally he says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Jacob 
referring to all the Israelites and then Esau referring to his descendants. Yeah. So um, if we back way up to Genesis, which a lot of episodes ago, Uh um, you have, you have these three patriarchs Mm -hmm. in Israel. So you have father Abraham and many sons. Um, Then Abraham has Isaac Isaac and and Esau, Ishmael. Uh Um, And then, then so God's like, all right, I've got two here. I'm going to go through. Isaac. Isaac. Um, then Isaac has two sons, twins. Right. Esau Jacob and, and Jacob, Esau. Yeah. yeah. And um, who comes out first? Esau. Esau. And Jacob, Jacob, what, what's Jacob doing? He's grabbing. Hold on. I'm coming too. <laughs> He's holding on that ankle. And, um, and so technically like the lineage you'd think would go through the firstborn, but God here says like, no, before, before you're even born, like mm-hmm. Jacob, I loved Esau. I hated. So th- that word loved, what does that word love mean? Yeah. This is, is such a troubling verse when you hear this. And, um, but if you think, consider in the terms of with, by love that he's meaning I choose. Yeah. So it's not an affection, right. but a choice. And then when he says I hated, which that really strikes, you know, kind of mm-hmm. smacks you in the face. It's talking about, it's referring to rejection, not the animosity that we might typically associate with that, yeah. with that word hated. And I love what you pointed out, like this is not just talking about two people as individuals, but talking about nations. Mm-hmm. So from from Jacob comes the nation of Israel. Israel, and from Esau come the, the, Edomites. the Edomites. Yeah. So essentially God's saying, look, from Adam to the coming Messiah, I'm continually having to make a choice on on who will carry this lineage forward. And um and and I've chosen over and over and over again to continue to to continue this lineage through Jacob, yeah. like I, I've chosen the the lesser, I've chosen the smaller tribe, and he's like, that's my way of showing I love you. And so, um, and so, anything else to these verses? Like before we, mm. I've got some other thoughts we can dive into. But did you, like, okay. as your as your wrestle with that, was there anything else that stood out it's, to you? It's just, yeah, I think that to note, to say that. Well, he, we're going to unpack how he God's choosing. His, I've, I chose you, and I've I blessed you. I've done all these things. And then, and, and that's what he's emphasizing. But he, it, when you read the passage, you see mostly he talk he's he talks about you know the Edomites and they're not blessed. He talks about how uh, what did he do to the, the Edomites? That he judged them and that as that like destroying them, not taking care of them. <laughs> and um, yeah. and so I think if if I if, if I was like Bill, I love you, and you're like how you're like I'm like I did really bad things to people. <laughs> right. It <laughs> he'd, sounds like he'd be like I don't know. really <laughs> like well yeah. like I'd rather have like some cool stuff for me versus uh, some bad things for them. So here's here's as I was diving into this because I've heard that you know that Paul has a different meaning to to this story than Malachi did. Mm-hmm. And um and I would agree actually that that Malachi is talking about nations and I think you when you dive into Romans 9 you see it's it's about the the choosing of individuals where this is absolutely not about individuals but the nations beyond them. Mm-hmm. But here's what's interesting. Was Jacob any better of a person than Esau? No. No. All right, so so now we've we've gone through the whole Old Testament almost is Israel any better than the, the Edomites? No. So what I think is going on here is I think that Edomites receive justice mm. and Israel has received mercy. Mm-hmm. So I think what God's saying here and the way that he's displaying his love is saying, like, like my love is displayed to you in that I give you mercy. Mm-hmm. That I've withheld, like so. The Edomites—that's a picture of what you have earned. It's a picture of what you deserve. And the fact that I've I've chosen to withhold that, mm-hmm. again, it's like so. My love is displayed to you in my mercy, yeah. and therefore, I think when you get to Romans nine, actually, that application is very much the same because mm-hmm. the question is like, that's not fair. Like, how could God, like, how could God predestine some to salvation mm-hmm. and not others? That's not 
fair. And I think Paul's argument is, no, 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 God is fair. Some people receive mercy, some people receive justice, but no one receives unfairness. Right. Election's and not I'm, about fairness. It's it's actually a, a d- demonstration of mercy and grace, yeah. kindness. Mm-hmm. And so, so but I, what I think is shown here is like God's love is displayed in his mercy. In, yeah. Um, and so I think he's showing them like, so they're saying how he's like, my mercy. Mm-hmm. Like my mercy is a picture of my love mm-hmm. towards you. And so... um. Yeah, so that, that's kind of where, yeah. which I think that, so, so with that concept though, when you of justice and mercy, when we get to some further disputes, I think we'll see that that's actually going to be a common theme that needs to be explored in Malachi. So that's why I think it's more about mm-hmm. justice and mercy because mm-hmm. I think it, it ties into the other disputes. Mm-hmm. So what's the, what's the next dispute, Bill? Yeah, second dispute happens when God says that they have despised him and defiled the temple. You see those words used several times. And, and then the people say, they respond back, how? How have we done that? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> and he's like, have you seen the animals you brought to me? <laughs> <laughs> On the Bible Project video, I think one of the, it's like this sheep with sores all over and it's puking. <laughs> it's oh so goodness. gross. It was great. I just imagine like a, I remember when I lived in, in Texas in high school, um, we had this, the stock show and rodeo came through yeah. um, every year and that was a big deal. And so I was, uh, one of my classes, I actually had to miss, um, school to go and help out and volunteer at the stock show. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one of the things I volunteered with was the petting zoo. And one of the, one of the goats had like a crazy eye and it was like, <laughs> it, was like it was like, so like it would look at you, but one eye was always looking over here. Uh-huh. And so we just, we cracked up at that thing. And so when I think about like the, like the second class or the, the like the sloppy second sacrifices, I'm oh, thinking, I, like I think of that goat, like with its eye, eye on the like, side, <laughs> yes. well, but they're basically, they're giving God the sloppy ju- seconds. Junk. Yeah. They're junk. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, bring that to your governor Garbage. and see how he oh. would accept mm-hmm. this junk that you're bringing to me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess they just, they couldn't argue it. But when I was reading this this week, something that stood out to me is thinking about, um, okay, so, so the sacrifices, they're bringing their seconds, they're junk. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like, well, okay, so we're, we're not called to make a sacrifice anymore, like a living sacrifice um, of an animal. Mm-hmm. Yes. But Romans 12 yes. calls us yep. to be a living sacrifice, which means, okay, so we should give God our, our best, not our, not our seconds. Mm-hmm. And um, why? Because God gave us his best. Yeah. You know, and so I think mm-hmm. like, so I think this is a picture mm-hmm. of honoring him through our best, realizing like God didn't hold back on us. He didn't give us seconds. He's like, I'm gonna give you my one and only son. Yeah. Um, so that, that was impactful for me is reading that in light of Romans 12 and what it means to be a living sacrifice mm-hmm. had some significance for me personally as I was reading. Any, anything for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does. It, it, it says, um, what's it, it made me think about what's the quality of our worship. And, um, you know, the Lord says that, that they were, here's this, this matters to him and that he's, and and we know that he's worthy of our best. And, and it's like, is this, what am I bringing to him is, and I, and I thought of some questions for it. I said, um, because we don't have to bring animals yeah. <laughs> anymore. That's not part of our, you know, so I'm not going out there, you know, picking a three-legged sheep with its eye hanging off the side of its head or whatever. Um, but it's, but what do I offer to him? And, and I think first, am I offering my whole life, Romans yeah. 12, uh, to him? Am I seeking to live a holy life? And, uh, and then do I, am I gathering regularly with other Christians to offer him praise? Like he really, it, for whatever reason he likes, that's worship. Yeah. That's an offering, the fruit of my lips. Or, you know, do I show up and I'm, I'm apathetic, I'm disengaged. Uh, I'm not willing to lift up my voice to offer that to him. 
and I and I just sensed him call, you know highlighting those things. Is he first in my finances? We're gonna get mm. that comes in later yeah. in the book uh, where the, about tithing. Um, but those are some things that I just thought about with with what does worship look like for us? Yeah, whole life and praising and coming to Him. Those those kinds of things. That's good. Um, there's a book that I really I really like called The Contrarian's Guide to mm-hmm. Spirituality. I yeah, think, is that Larry Osborne? by Larry Osborne? Yeah, and so um. So he has these things that I, he articulates it so well that I go, I've always thought that. I just don't know how to word it. And now mm. that you said it, I'm like, that makes sense. But one of the things he he has in there is like, stop putting God first in your life. Which I think people, you hear that and you're like, yeah, uh-huh. what do you mean? Like, yeah. we're talking about seconds here. And he, and he says like, be at what point, like, if you say like, God deserves the, the first of my time today. Mm-hmm. Like, at what point is that enough? Like, is it 15 minutes? Is it an hour? Is it three hours? Yeah. Like, like you, you, you never know, like, if he's first, like, how much is enough? And so he said, mm-hmm. instead of thinking it as, like, God's your first on a, on a list of other priorities, think of him as the foundation that all the priorities mm-hmm. exist from. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, um, and so, so he's not the top, and then everything else underneath mm-hmm. him. It's like, no, he's the foundation, and it affects, affects everything, everything yeah. else. And so I think about, like, that first um, giving God your best is like, it's like, Hey, I want God to be the foundation mm-hmm. of the way I work. Mm-hmm. I want God to be the foundation of the way that yeah. I handle yeah. my finances. So God be the foundation. And so it's more, yeah, so and, it's, and it causes, it's like, you're thinking, I'm thinking about God as the foundation. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that it's the, the thing that comes to me and me, you know, and I filter everything else through that. So then everything becomes worship. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, so. and I think like the, their first fruits offering is like, this is symbolic of it's all his, yeah. and I'm, you know, I'm trusting him for everything mm-hmm. in that. So. That's good. Yeah. So that gets us to uh, the third dispute. Mm-hmm. And so the third dispute happens when God exposes the men. Yeah. What are they doing? So instead of loving their wives, they're divorcing them. Yeah, and not only are they divorcing their wives, but what else are they doing? They were also marrying foreign women who were worshiping foreign gods. That's, that was the big issue. Yeah, so the big thing here is like this is not about interracial marriage. Mm-hmm. It's not saying like you can't, if you're white, you can't marry someone who's black. If you're Mexican, you can't marry someone who's... Um, Italian. <laughs> and I realized, like I just said, this is a side tangent. Yeah. San Antonio is where I grew up. Oh. Um, it's not uncommon to hear someone say, in Texas, in San Antonio, we didn't move, the border did. And uh-huh. so there's great pride in saying that we are Mexican. And if you say Spanish, like, oh, you're Hispanic, they're like, that's Spanish descent or Latino, that's of Latin descent. They're like, uh-huh. no, we're Mexican, we're proud of it. Where you and grew so, up, that was. So I grew up like, you, you, like, if you call someone who's Mexican Spanish, that's like offensive. Felt, oh, really? And so now, but I realized in Tennessee, if I say that, people are like, yeah. they're almost like, oh, you can't say that. You got to say Hispanic. And I'm like, ah, so. Uh-huh. so it's cultural to, difference. So to our audience. <laughs> that's just to explain where Jeff's from. So that <laughs> to was To my good. audience. Um, so like, you know. The, like the, the, the offensive thing from my background is to say Hispanic instead uh-huh. of saying Mexican. I didn't so, know that. Anyways, that's a total. <laughs> so, well, at any rate. It's, so it's not, it's not talking about mar- marrying people who have, uh, of other ethnicities. It's talking about people marrying people who worship other gods. Other gods. Yes. Because those gods are going to pull your heart away from the one yeah, that's true right. God. And so that's, that's what mm-hmm. they're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, here's, so God hates divorce. Why? Like, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, why why does God hate divorce? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and so, first of all, you know, marriage is meant to image God's love toward us. Yeah, and it's Paul talks about this mystery of Christ and 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 the, the and His bride. Yeah, and so it shows us that, and um, it also when we're faithful to our spouses, that's a message to the world of God's love towards us. Yeah, yeah. They, like, so they see that. So when we like when we're like. 
I'm fully committed. Uh, I know all your flaws. I'm not going anywhere. I'm madly in love with you. Nothing's going to change that. Like I will be faithful to you. That's meant to tell the world that's how God loves us. us, Which is this ultimate relationship of faithfulness and love. That that love, I have loved you from the very beginning of Malachi. I always have. I do. Always will. Nothing can change it. Yeah. And that and so when when we're we're imaging that, we're displaying that to others, that they're they're seeing this is what God is like. And it's and it's and it it's the flourishing of that relationship and human flourishing can't happen without that kind of love, without those those kinds of marriages. That's God's yeah. designed humanity to flourish yeah. through marriages that that mm. where we we sustain them, we stick it out. Yeah, uh, and so so when we divorce, it's a it preaches a different message. Yeah, it says that type of love can end. Yeah, and so for God, the thought of saying like, "Hey, I want Christian marriages to paint a picture of a love that will never end." And when it does end, it's like we're preaching. It says like actually God's love could stop. Yeah. And he's like the thought of people thinking my love could ever end. The thought of people thinking that like you could do something so bad that I would call it quits on you when I've committed myself to you. Like it's like God that breaks God in a way. He says like the thought of anybody thinking that I could stop loving them destroys me. Like that's mm. why I, I hate divorce. I mm-hmm. hate it because of the message it preaches. If the message is meant to be this is a picture of God's love towards us. He yeah. wants the message to be never ending. Yeah. Nothing can change it. Yeah. But if we divorce, all of a sudden the message becomes like actually there is something that can change yeah. it. Um, and I think it's important too when you know th- so this verse in you know in the historic versions it, it literally you'll read it and it says I I hate divorce. If you read, you know, in the ESV, they've got that as a footnote because there's a lot of debate about how that's translated. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that when you read that it's important to, it doesn't say that he hates the people. Uh, that yeah. get divorces. That's so good. <laughs> you know, because if you've been through that, people that are listening to this, you know how painful it is. And, and I think that that is, and, and God does not hate you. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I think that one of the other reasons that God, does, that divorce is so, is it it is so painful. Mm. And, and he doesn't want to see that. Yeah. You know, because he loves you and, and he loves us. And I was talking actually at dinner, it, it came up, divorce came up and I was talking with my son about that. And it's like when you take two pieces of wood and you use wood glue and you put those together and you let that cure and you and when you glue like two, two by fours together with wood glue, if you then try to actually like pry it apart, yeah, the two pieces of wood will shred and and they'll but because of where the glue was so strong. Yeah. And what God does when people when we marry and it's a supernatural joining of two souls mm-hmm. and when and and that's the thing that is so hard about divorce is that it is ripping you apart. Yeah. And and I think that that also is is why why divorce is, is so you know it's God's like no 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 no. This yeah. is not what's good for you. This is going to rip you apart. Uh, yeah, and that's so, so marriage isn't just two pieces coming together. Um, the way that Tim Keller and Kathy Keller explain it is um, it, like you have a, a pile of sodium mm-hmm. and, um, and a pile of chloride. Is it sodium chloride? Is that the word I'm thinking of? What Maybe. makes up salt? I'm not a science guy. I think, I think <laughs> Carter's, Carter's giving us the yes. All right. So he's like, it's like, you know, salt isn't just a pile of sodium and a pile of chloride. It's like it comes together and creates a whole new mm. compound. It's a whole yeah. new thing. Yeah. And, um, and so in the same way, like marriage, it's not just a man and a woman that come together and are two separate things that are together. It's like, no, you become bonded. bonded. Yeah. And yeah. so then you rip that oneness apart. 
But I think it's so important. Like if, if we were doing a sermon series in Malachi, it'd be tough to stand before people and preach this because I'd be looking through the room and seeing people that we know, that we love, that we care about, been who've walked divorce. through this or who are walking through this. And mm-hmm. like you said, you see it and it's like, even the people who have biblical grounds for it mm-hmm. are still going through the ringer because it's messy, it's painful. And I mean, I would think, I, like, I would think most people are like, I wouldn't wish this upon anybody. What it's doing to me, what it's doing to our kids, like yes. what it's doing to our, our extended families. Community. Um, I remember I, I did a, a wedding for a couple that was their second marriage. And, um, and, um, and both of them divorced, went through divorces. And I would say that were biblically grounded years and years and years ago. But they said, Jeff, if you could see the impact it's having on our kids now, they say, cause our kids now have kids mm-hmm. and our grandkids are being divided amongst all these tensions. And he's like, it's like, if, if you could see the effect isn't just you, the effects, even just your kids, like even down to the grandkids, you see, you see this, this yeah. pain. And so, so yeah, so I think God in his kindness is like, Hey, I also don't want you to divorce. Cause I, I, just, I don't want you to go through the pain. Um, so with that being said, here's one of the questions that came in, like, are there biblical grounds for divorce? And so we've kind of alluded to that already, right. but, um, so what are, what are some examples that yeah. you would say, if someone said, is there a biblical so, grounds for yeah, divorce? So many, many people would say it's a fair interpretation as you read the New Testament that in the case of marital infidelity. Yeah, so adultery. Adultery, and, and also perhaps in the case of, of abandonment, yeah. that those are biblical grounds for the marriage to be, con- for divorce, yeah. for the marriage to be considered uh, to be done. Um, and um, so, so you've got So those. yeah, and so we're... Um, there's some good theologians out there, mm-hmm. right? And um, so I, I don't want people to think that we only go to one. Like I, I love G.I. Packer's Concise Theology. We went through the Doctrine book by um, by Paul Tripp. That was so good. Mm-hmm. And like you have John Frame, others. But we typically will mention Wayne Grudem. <laughs> <laughs> we just like Not, him. Just, I just, like he's Wayne. He's so well thought out. But he has a book as big as his systematic theology book called Ethics. And he he writes on divorce, and he he lands um, on there's two grounds: adultery and desertion or abandonment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he comes back in 2019. A, a friend challenged him on this, and so he really he did like a deep, deep, deep dive mm-hmm. um, on a, a phrase that's not found anywhere else in scripture. In, in cases such as, mm-hmm. um, and looks at all these other Greek instances outside of scripture for the, how that phrase is used. And so he, without getting into too technical of a <laughs> argument here, he basically shows that um, things that cause as much damage as divorce or desertion could also be, be biblical grounds. grounds. And so, so with uh-huh. that, he added in um, not necessarily like a, a one, like, so it's case by case, I guess you could say. So uh-huh. it, it, it requires discernment and yes. counsel, but he would say things like physical abuse, verbal abuse, um, dangerous threats to the family, addictions that are, that are hopeless, harmful, habitual. So he would say like, there's like, there's other things mm-hmm. that if they are causing as much damage as yeah. adultery or abandonment, that those two could be biblical grounds. And so he actually amended Mm-hmm. Um, what he wrote mm-hmm. in that in wow. his book Ethics, and kind so he expanded that. And, um, and I read through his arguments, and I said it's pretty, pretty strong. Um, uh-huh. But but it, but I said it it requires a level of discernment and wisdom and prayer to to make any type of judgment on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. here's what what I think is interesting: um, if we're going off of technicalities, I would say that God has grounds to divorce us, mm-hmm. but He won't. 
And so just because there are grounds for divorce, I would always counsel a couple like, hey, this isn't the first option. Like, let's seek right. reconciliation. Let's let's fight for this thing. Right. I'm not saying that we, like, and so to know that there very well could be a point where we say like, hey, this is what we need to do. Um, but I would say like, let's not the first step be like, there's grounds, let's do it. Yeah. You know, um, it's, hey, let's let's fight for the marriage. Let's, yeah. let's because that's also a beautiful picture to the world that we're in. It is. And, so, and, and well, and, and that's, the other flip side of this passage is that it has some incredible descriptions of marriage yeah. and the purpose of it. In verse, uh, in verse fifteen, he says, "Did he not make them one?" That's the beauty of marriage: yeah. becoming one. Uh, and then with a portion of the spirit in their union, that there's that supernatural um, bonding. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring, yeah, and that that would be a fruit of marriage is mm. uh, is kids that come to know Him, yeah, and so that's that's good stuff for marriage. And then He says, "So guard yourself." And I think this, if you're listening to this right now and your marriage is struggling, uh, and you're, or maybe you're, you're, there's somebody at the gym that you've been talking to that you should not be talking mm. to. It says, especially fellas, it because he he says, "Guard yourself in your spirit." And let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Guard yourself in your spirit. And so I think yeah. that's it gives us a the, the beauty of a beautiful picture of marriage, and then a, and a strong encouragement to guard ourselves yeah. to protect that. Yeah. So it, it reminds me of a I ripped this off from J D Greer um, when we went through um, the the kings. We went through um, Saul, Solomon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Saul, David, and Solomon. Yeah. And we looked at Solomon's life. And one of the questions we asked in the application was basically like, if God was going to completely wreck your life and destroy you in three years, like how would he do it? Mm. And um, and what seed would be planted today that if gone unchecked could lead down that path? Yeah. You know, so thinking through that, it's like, yeah, like those like guard guard it. Yeah. Guard it. Yeah. yeah. Good. So, um so that gets us to the 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 very end of chapter two. Mm-hmm. Um, going to chapter three, we're, we're introduced to the fourth dispute. Mm-hmm. So what's going on here in the fourth one? Yeah, so they've wearied God by their words, by questioning his justice. Yeah. Are so, you going to take care of these wicked people? What's going on? Yeah, so w- would you read verses one through four of yeah. chapter three? Yeah. This is kind of his response to like when they're like, how, how have we wearied you? Mm-hmm. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Yeah, so basically what he's saying here is like, you guys are the ones who broke things. Um, so when they're, when they're questioning the, the justice, um, it's like, you guys are the ones who broke things, but I'm going to come and fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. so, and so that's really probably the, the biggest shadow of Jesus, maybe the only one. Yes. But the, the big one here is like, you have, you have the messenger, which is a picture of Elijah, mm-hmm. um, who in the New Testament is often John the Baptist. John the Baptist. All right, yeah. so, so you have John the Baptist, preparing the way of the Lord, fulfillment of prophecies we saw in Isaiah. Um, and then he comes before the Lord, which we know to be Jesus. And then it seems like they're kind of always dissatisfied with this temple, right? Uh-huh. And what, temp- what temple does Jesus show up to? This, this temple. This very, very mm. temple, yeah. So, so 
yeah, the, like when we look at the the injustice in the world, it's like it's a result of our sin, but God's going to send a messenger to prepare the way mm-hmm. for the one who will come and and fix yeah. all that we've broken. Yeah, um, and you know, there's something when you, we talk about the structure of the book and it's six disputes, and there's also a pretty obvious chiastic structure even in the themes from the first to the sixth, yeah. the second to the fifth, the third to the fourth. But you get here in the middle of the of all of this, and that's where you see Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Right there, right down the with that, boom. boom! Right in the middle. Here's the here's the important part. Yeah, any, anything else on on that? Um, no, I think yeah. Okay. So the fifth dispute is about Israel robbing God. So how how are they doing that? They're not tithing. Well, what was the what was the tithe meant to be for? Like what like what what? Because there's more than just a tithe in the Old Testament, the, but this was for this the is the one of, for the maintaining the temple for yeah. worship for taking care of the the priests and all the things that they would need. Yeah. So we've addressed this before. Maybe maybe it's a good refresher. Um, is tithing required in the New Testament? They were not under the, the law. Yeah. But uh, there's a continuity in the things that God was teaching through the Old Testament and through the through these things that continues. So giving still matters. It's still yeah. a, it's a wonderful form of worship and trusting the Lord um, and, and an opportunity. And, and we're obviously our materialism and, and greed is we want to put that to death, yeah. Um, but that there's a continuity there, and so we we see, and it's a fair question to say, what financially, where is my heart at? Yeah, because where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. So yeah, yeah so yeah, if you're gonna nutshell no, I, I, this, I, I definitely like. I think I remember the first time I heard this when I was in college, because so, I I, just, I grew up tithing, uh-huh. like from a, from a, from a very young age. Um, I remember in, in Blyville, Arkansas, before I was five years old, um, being given money mm-hmm. for unloading the dishwasher, uh-huh. um, like a couple, you know, some some dimes or something. And yeah. then I would take, and my parents taught me the principle of tithing, what I earned from uh-huh. my chores. So, so I would take, you know, my my change that I made, and I would go and I'd put that in the offering plate. So, like, mm-hmm. so when I worked in in high school, washing cars and selling cars in college and seminary, like. I always had this. So just for me, tithing has always been rhythmic. And I remember, like, but I remember in college, I'm like, you know, tithing's not in the in the New Testament. I was like, it's like what? Yeah, because I was like, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, but I, I love the way that it that you think about. Okay, if people in the Old Testament were tithing, um, and they only had a partial revelation of the Christ to come. Um, how much more should we give? Yeah, with a full revelation Revelate. of the Christ who came. Yeah, um, it'll come again. And so so I'd say like, man. I think tithing is still a great a great principle to live by, but even like let that be the starting point, and um, yes, but doing so with a with a generous and joyful heart, right? Um, in response to not not to earn God's favor, but in response to His favor. Yeah, and that's how so, Paul teaches giving in the New yeah. Testament. It's helpful. You read over that, and he's like, and you know, you've received. He's been generous towards us, you've yeah. re- and, and his you've experienced His grace, and now let that create in you the grace to give. And so I think if you if you're older, oh, I don't have to tithe. That just that means I just don't, I don't have to give anything to the you know to to, to the church, I think you're something's really broken in your heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because if you if Jesus is Lord and uh, and you want to just you want to see His kingdom advance uh, and you, you want to see things happen, money fuels yeah. the things that happen in this world, and either it's going to be fueling things that are evil and opposed to God, or it can fuel his mission going forward. And so yeah. if God's blessed people that are listening to this and given them, it says he gives people the ability to generate wealth, then think about, man, you you know, we're, we're thinking about what, what can we do? Or if you're just a college student and you got five bucks, your five bucks 
could that's a blessing you know yeah. give that to the lord like the lady that had the two pennies you know yeah but we but say i want i want to see his kingdom go forward that's where my heart is yeah. so i give to it um but you don't have to fall under you know there's a there's a saying in some churches got to get the curse out the purse <laughs> never heard that before but. based on this passage <laughs> uh, about yeah. if you don't give god's gonna curse your money you know that yeah so we, we don't want to see it as like a, a cursing um to not give um, we also don't want to see it as a way of manipulating God. Like mm-hmm. I gave, therefore he's got to, he's got to Do return this. it tenfold. You know, it's like yeah. there's, there's, we're not looking at the prosperity gospel. No, but really just like a, a joyful heart of saying, like, I, I think about it. Like if you said, Jeff, I want to give you a 10% raise. I feel like, Oh, that'd be awesome. Like I could buy this. And like, it was like, and I think through like, I could just stop tithing and mm-hmm. get a 10% raise. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't want to. Right. Like, you know, like, and so there you go. Like, I, th- I think yeah. it's like because it's a it's a joy to be able to say like God I want to see what you're doing I want yeah. to be a part I want to take part in what you're doing in the world and I want to help I want to it's help be thrilling. a part of that so it's, yeah. it's, you know when you think about seeing the good things that God is doing and just let your heart flow yeah. with that and get and let generosity flow and then I think you're experiencing the gospel gospel giving yeah <laughs> um so that gets us to the the sixth and final dispute okay. um, it's about people thinking it's pointless to serve God. Like mm-hmm. why, why do they think it's pointless, Bill? Yeah. Well, basically they're looking around, they're seeing the people who are bad and they're doing just fine. And it's, and it's really, they, um, they're, it's the same question from dispute one. So the chiastic yeah. pattern mm-hmm. there, um, how have you loved us? Cause these guys are doing fine and we're not, you know, what, yeah. what's up with us? Um, yeah, they're looking around like, like, it's like the, the people who are wicked are doing great. The people who we th- thought where your people are doing yeah. bad. Where are blessings. And, um, and so it's kind of that back, like where, like, is there any justice uh-huh. in the world? And, um, and so I, I think on one hand, they're asking God for justice, but the truth is they don't want justice. Mm. Like they want other people to receive justice but while they continue us. to serve mercy. Like, they, like, right. like, why don't you, why don't you serve justice? I'm like, do you really want that? Because mm-hmm. remember the Edomites, mm-hmm. like, if, if you get justice, that's, that's what it looks like. That's what it, yeah. that's what it gets. That's what I think about. Um, I remember in, in high school, my pastor preached um, a message and he was talking about hell and, um, and just someone in the, someone in the, in the sanctuary, it was a, you got, you could, People talk back sometimes, you know, uh-huh. amens, and someone said, that's not fair. And I, I remember like in stride, he goes, if you want fair, you get hell. Oh, yeah. It's true. <laughs> and I uh, was like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> maybe I don't want fair. Um, I'll take I'll take the mercy. Um, but this dispute reminds me of the difference, you know, kind of when we talk about the difference between Proverbs and Job. It's kind of like, you know, in Job's question is like, is there, is there a principle of justice that's just like really simple? in the world. Mm-hmm. Like if you do bad, you get punished. If you do good, you get rewarded. And Job just blows that idea up and shows like, Hey, the world's way too, mm-hmm. too complicated for it to work. That like, it'd be great, but it, it just it can't. The world yeah. at this point in redemptive history is not designed to function in that way. So it leaves us with a lot of just having to, to, to lean in and trust God. So why would God allow some form of injustice? Well, because that enables the cross mm. um, because mm-hmm. that obviously was an act of injustice. Like Jesus didn't deserve that. Mm. Um, so why would he allow us to still live in a world where we can experience injustice? Mm-hmm. There's something formative about it, but that's even still, even still that's still. Mm-hmm. 
too and thin it, of an answer to the complexities of it. But yeah. I think this level of saying like, we've got to trust God. We do. Yeah. Trusting him. And then, you know, there's, I think it's Psalm 73. That's, you know, my foot had almost slipped. I would, I, would, I was looking, considered, I looked at how the wicked were prospering and I was like, man, I'm forget it. I'm going to go do that. Yeah. And then he gets, says, I went to the house of the Lord. He got into God's presence. He remembered who God was and what the bigger story is. Mm-hmm. And this bigger story is, this is a moment this pilgrimage, this side of eternity, and then there's eternity, and yeah. God is going to make all things new. He's going to when you when and He said, "I considered the end of the wicked." Yeah, it's it, it it may look good now, but there's where there will be justice, and 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 also my end, there will be mercy. Yeah. Uh, so and so that response kind of gets us into chapter four, where the thing wraps up. Yeah. And so He talks about how there's going to be this this day. Um, that's not just answering the last dispute, but really all of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the imagery there. Like it's one, it's going to be a day of, of healing, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is awesome. Yeah, um, it talks about calves leaping, <laughs> leaping out of the happy of cows. The, um, so happy cows. So great. <laughs> like, what kind of milk are they producing? Um, but he, you know, he, talks, he talks about on that day though, it's going to be really hot for those who are wicked. So like right, the justice the fire will receive. Yeah, so the, the the wicked will receive what they deserve. He's like a burning oven where people will be set ablaze. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people who serve God, it's it's healing. It's it's calves leaping from the stall. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we get to the end there, Malachi, it wraps up by pointing us back, because this is the last book before the New Testament. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go back and read First and Second Chronicles, but but mm-hmm. this is the last words before, this, right. before we get to Jesus. And so it looks back and he says, Remember the law of Moses, mm-hmm. um, but then it looks forward. How does it look forward? He's, he talks about sending someone. Mm-hmm. The, I will behold. I will send you Elijah the prophet. Yeah. So it, it ends by by saying, "Look back and remember God's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Look forward to His promises." Mm-hmm. And I think that's what helps us to live in the moment mm-hmm. of today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got I've got one final thought. Okay. Um, and then I'll let you have the closing remarks. As yeah. far as the questions we had come in, were were divorce and tithing? Did anything else come up? from your end Mm-mm. shadow of Jesus, I think was three verse one, the mm-hmm. messenger, messenger. The Lord. Right. So, so something that, that blew me away with, with Malachi, and this was from, um, this is from about a year, two years ago, but I was reminded of it as we were studying it again, is that in chapter one, verse six, God speaks to Israel as a father. So, so the words of God are coming to his people from the posture, from the heart of mm-hmm. a good dad. Yeah. Um, and then it wraps up in four six talking about fathers mm-hmm. and their children. Like like he's gonna draw children to their mm-hmm. fathers. And I think it's really interesting because like it's this father imagery in Malachi. And then after this father imagery, this father voice, this father imagery, this father desire, mm-hmm. there's four hundred years of silence. And God is reintroduced after four hundred years of of saying not a thing by by the words, this is my son mm. with whom I'm well pleased. Mm-hmm. And so speaking about this is my son, that puts the language of God once again speaking first and foremost as a father. Father. Yeah. And um and so and if if so if if then we are are in Christ, that means that Jesus is our older brother, mm-hmm. but God is now our father, yeah. which means God creates the church to be a, a spiritual family. And so, yeah. so for me, like I, I was thinking, I, I think there's something significant for me to think about like the father heart of God displayed in Malachi, the fact mm-hmm. that after four years of silence, he, he ends the old Testament with the father's heart 
And then he begins the New Testament with the Father's Father's heart heart. and reminding us of who we are, that we are one, first and foremost, we are his beloved children. But as beloved children, we we should now exist as a, as a family, the family of God and the Mm. way that we Mm -hmm. we live as a church. But so that was kind of like that, that, that reminder was good for me to. Sure. um, Yeah. Yeah, I see that. And and the, the other thing that comes to mind is the, you know, if you look at the structure of the book and it talks about, you know, the front and, and back on their questioning God and his mm-hmm. love for them and his justice for them. But then as you work your way into three and four, it's, it, and, it, well, and then he talks about worship is the next layer down. And then, but that the heart is the, the way that they're treating each other. Yeah. And so he's getting into the, you know, the marriage and the divorce and, and those things. And, um, and this, I wonder too, if this might be picking back up on that thing, because the, your, our worship of God, our, our, our becoming his people it changes the way we relate to him, but it also has to have a, it has a profound impact on the way we treat each other. Yeah. And so, um, and you see that in the way, and when he talked about marriage and the faithfulness there. And, and so I also wonder if there's something happening in this last verse where um, the, the way that God is renewing the earth and what he's doing within the church is there is, he, it, it fits in this with these lines that he turns the hearts of the fathers to the children and whether that's, you know, I, I mean, you think about how families are just ripped apart yeah. and how, what is, what's been so detrimental to, to society is what, ha- what, what happens with dads when dads are pulled out of the home, when dads are not, not present. Um, you know, when, when there's, when there's just, just strife and insanity going yeah. on, you know, in, in, in living rooms. And, and so it's, he's maybe drawing our attention to the, this, this power of Christ to turn hearts of fathers to children and hearts of children to fathers. And that stood out to me. I was a school teacher for yeah. several years. And so I was with kids and I was seeing our society, the whole cross section of it represented through children, you know, through kids. Yeah. Uh, I did middle school for a while. And so you really get to see what, <laughs> what our society is made of. Um, and uh, a friend of mine, we, we um, had a, did a, a, a night of prayer and we actually um, created this uh, collage of photos of all the schools here in this region. And and then we took this verse from Malachi, the last verse of the Old Testament, yeah. and put that on top of it as a prayer for this is one of the signs of God's kingdom would be families being healed. Yeah. And 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 if not in within the family of people becoming part, becoming Christians and becoming part of churches where they find spiritual fathers, yeah, spiritual mothers. Moms. And, and, uh, and, and that is, I think could be something else that when we think about the hope of, yeah. of, of God's redemption, my goodness, what's, what's one of the most painful things in life is a broken family. What's one of the most beautiful things would be family healed, Yeah, you know, through our, through God being our father first. So uh, that reminds me of a, there's a, a pastor here in town who has a, a Sunday morning prayer gathering just for men mm-hmm. and like their men show up and I love it. Like you, you know, when, when you pull up near the churches, cars packed down the street and it's just yeah. a bunch of dudes that are like, we're going to pray. Yes. And so, um, yeah. and so I was talking to him about, about his, the prayer time. And he goes, Jeff, he goes, when I do a wedding, he goes, I say this jokingly, but I mean it. Mm-hmm. He goes, I look at the, 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 the groom and I say for a marriage to be healthy, it needs healthy men. Mm. For a family to be healthy, it needs a healthy marriage. Mm-hmm. For a church to be healthy, it needs, a, or for a family to be, for a, 
ah, I'm butchering this. It's okay. It is, so it's, it's like basically like, uh, for a marriage to be healthy, you need a healthy man. Uh-huh. Um, for a family to be healthy, you need healthy, healthy marriages. Healthy um, for marriage. a church to be healthy, you need healthy families. Mm. And for a nation to be healthy, you need healthy churches. Mm-hmm. And so he said, he, he looks at the groom and basically says, like, basically the hope of our nation rests on you being a man. <laughs> No pressure. <laughs> a godly, a godly man. Um, yeah. And so, but I think like, you know, looking at that, like there truly is something about like healthy marriages, healthy families create healthy churches, healthy churches can create healthy societies and healthy societies can impact the world. And so, so like there is something to like, man, let's, let's fight for healthy families. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's good. Stuff. Good word. Well, next week, first and second Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And then Matthew. And then Matthew. All right. Turn it over. Good stuff. Good. All right. We'll we'll be back next week. See you then. <laughs>